Welcome to Leadership Reimagined. I'm Dr. Jane Lovis, your host. During each episode of Leadership Reimagined, we take a look at leadership from the vantage point of what it's going to take for leaders to lead their organizations forward into a new future. And in this episode, we're creating that new future. Today, I'd like to introduce Wayne Mullins. Wayne is the founder of Ugly Mug Marketing, where he's a passionate entrepreneur committed to creating remarkable experiences and building a team at Ugly Mug Marketing that produces extraordinary results for their clients. So join Wayne and I as we chat about what it looks like to lean into leadership including using that team member who challenges your leadership the most to expand your leadership capacity. I can't wait to hear about that. And building a high-performance, self-accountable culture. So welcome, Wayne. Welcome to Leadership Reimagined. Thank you so much. I'm looking forward to our conversation today. Thank you. I, I love the name of your company, Ugly Mug Marketing. It's you know all those all those coffee mugs that you you get from places that just take up space. Yeah, no, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. Um, we don't have any official ugly mugs. We do have some coffee mugs, but I, I don't know that any of them are ugly. So <laughs> good, good. <laughs> so share a little bit of your background because when I was looking at your your LinkedIn profile, you made like a three hundred and 95 degree change when you started Ugly Mug Marketing. Yeah. So, um, you know, my, my journey began back in my junior year of college for Christmas. My parents decided to give me some CDs from this gentleman of the name Zig Ziglar. And those CDs uh, from Zig were on selling. And those CDs literally changed kind of the trajectory of my life. Zig sold me on the profession of selling. So I decided that as soon as I graduated, I wanted to go in sales and spent the next three years really, first of all, I discovered how terrible I was at sales, right? Those first years were horrible and atrocious, um, but continued to learn, continued to study, continued to try things, fail at things and try again. And, you know, I finally one day kind of looked at the revenue I was generating for the company. I looked at my paycheck and I noticed this big gap between the two. And I said, you know what? I think I could go do something on my own. And that was a a thought that kind of led me down this other path. So, you know, I sat down and I I said, I'm going to make a list of all the skills, all the things that I could do to market, right? All the things that I could quote unquote sell to the marketplace. And that list was very short. It was cut grass. So other than selling, that was all I had. Um, But over the course of the next three years, I I started from scratch a lawn and landscape company and grew that into a fairly good sized company. Um, At which point I sold that. But in the course of that growth, what happened was a lot of our clients actually from the lawn care company began coming to me and asking for help and advice with their marketing. And so it was out of those conversations, it was out of consulting with those people um, that I began doing marketing consulting work. And, you know, I didn't know that that's what I wanted to do full time, um, but eventually realized that was something I wanted to get into full time. So 12 and a half years ago, Ugly Mug Marketing was born and here we are today. 
Wow. That's great. That's, you know, that's a very unique story. It's unique in you went from sales and owning a lawnmower, you know, a, a yard company taking care of yards into your own marketing through recognizing what you were really good at. Yeah. I think what's interesting as well is, you know, it, it takes time to discover those things often. And often those things, um, we don't notice those things for ourselves, right? So in the lawn care company, it was the other people coming to me asking for help, asking for advice on their marketing that kind of enlightened or shone the light into this area. And then the same thing with, with the Zig Ziglar CDs. Like I had, I had no idea that I wanted to go into sales until Zig kind of put this light in this area. And I said, that's interesting. Let me, let me look into that, lean into that. And sometimes it's exploring different areas and finding out, you know, okay, I liked it, but I, I'm not passionate about it. I don't want to be doing this 40 hours a week. Right. Absolutely. So you talk about extraordinary results for your clients. And I love that word extraordinary because it really, it implies something big, really big that, you know, no one else is doing or very few other people are doing. What to that for you is for your clients? Yeah. So for us, you know, we're, we're in a space right now where anyone with a computer, anyone with a smartphone, anyone with an Instagram account, a TikTok account is all of a sudden a marketing expert. Um, so we live in this, in this world or in this, this kind of genre niche where that is the reality. And what we discovered and what we know to be true is that the tools are always going to change. In other words, it's going to go from MySpace to Facebook to uh, Instagram to TikTok to Snap, you know, whatever it is, it's always going to change and evolve. And if we're always chasing the latest tactic or the latest platform, it's a losing game because there's always something else to learn and something else to do. And so instead, from the very, very beginning, we put our attention on one thing and one thing only. And that was, what are the things that matter the most to our clients, right? So when we strip away all the quote unquote vanity metrics, right? The number of likes, the number of followers, the number of shares, all of the vanity metrics, when we strip those away, what matters most to our clients? And for the most part, when clients come to us, it's one of two things. One, because they're struggling with revenue. In other words, they need marketing to generate the revenue. Or two, they're at a place or at a position where they know they could scale this, scale their business if they had the marketing figured out. And so that's for us, our focus. Um, you know, we tell people going in, give us two months. Within two months, if you aren't seeing a measurable impact, we don't want your money. We don't want you paying us on a retainer forever. We're all about results. That in and of itself is pretty extraordinary. I appreciate you saying that it, it is. And it's also, you know, to be honest, it's also a bit of high pressure, right? Um, it creates a pressure on me. It creates pressure on the team because in order to grow, in order to scale a company where you don't force people into long-term contracts, where you don't force people into monthly retainers, you know, for a year or two years at a time, um, everything rides on your ability to deliver results not just check things off a checkbox. And that's where we try to stay focused. So really that delivering results and delivering extraordinary results. So they want to stay with you. Absolutely. 
when you talk about leaning into leadership, I mean, because to create a company that produces extraordinary results takes a really unique, not your standard leadership. Yeah, absolutely. Um, because that pressure comes from the clients, right? Because we set ourselves up in such a way that we are after results and we have to prove ourselves, that does trickle down into the company and into the culture that we have in our company. And, you know, I like to think of it in some ways as, you know, you think about the different branches of the United States military, you know, so there's all, there's the army, the Navy, the Air Force, the Marines, all these different branches in each of them has a little bit of a different culture, you know, so for people in the air force, they don't like the people in the army necessarily. Right. I think there's a big football rival between those two, right. Army yeah. versus air force. And, and it's because their cultures are different, right. They're all aiming towards the same thing, but, but their cultures are different. And so for us, our culture is completely different than you know, the marketing company down the street, our culture is different than the marketing company across, you know, the nation or even the world. We've centered it on results. And what that means is I have to lean into that as a leader. Our team has to lead into lean into that as they lead themselves. And that's really where it starts for us. We we believe and we talk about on a regular basis that the most difficult person for us to lead is the person looking back at us in the mirror every day. That is where leadership for us begins. It doesn't begin with leading our clients. It doesn't begin with me leading the team. It doesn't begin with, you know, a manager leading a subordinate. It begins with the person in the mirror for each of us every single morning. What I see is one of the things that's so often very important in my experience is you've got to be really clear what it is you're out to create why you're doing what you're doing, and then share that and empower others so that they can own what they do. That's absolutely right. I, I was just actually putting an article together for our newsletter. And in that, I share a story. You know, it was a few years back, a friend of mine came to me in his business. He's a business owner. His business was at a very a pivotal moment. The moment was I either sell the company which it was worth some money at that time, or I scale this. I take another two or three years. I scale this to a different level. And, you know, the company probably would have been worth 10 times as much as it was that day if he'd scaled it. And my advice to him was, you need to scale this. You've invested these years. You've gotten to this point. You're so close. It's just a matter now of scaling it. The systems, the processes, all those things are in place. You just need to invest in your time. Another couple of years, scale this. And so he was still on the fence. And so I had this bright idea that I was going to invite him to a mastermind, entrepreneur mastermind lunch that I was a part of. Um, so that, that, that fateful day, what ends up being that fateful day, he shows up, um, we go into the meeting and it just so happens that the topic that day is how to build and engage your team. And the very first thing that the facilitator had us do was go around the room and share how many people were on our team. In other words, how many people did we have to lead? And in this group, there, there's entrepreneurs in this group that range from you know two, two or three employees up to the largest had 700 employees in his company. And so as we're going around, it gets to the gentleman who has 700, a little over 700 employees. And he says, you know, hi, my name is, and 
in regards to the number of people who work for me, it's about half of them. And so all the other entrepreneurs, you know, erupt in laughter. And it's kind of this joke that, you know, only half his people actually work. The rest of them, he's trying to figure out what's going on. Well, for the next hour and a half, all these entrepreneurs go around the room sharing horror story after horror story about the difficulty they have in leading and managing their team. And so fast forward, you know, talk to my friend the next day. He says, well, I've decided to sell the company after hearing everyone's stories. I just, I don't want to deal with the headache. I'm done. Mm. And you see, so it's in those moments though, that I think, so for him, that moment said, it's not worth it. Let me move on from this. In that moment, I said, there, there is a better way. There has to be a better way because this does not have to be the common language, the common um, thing that takes place when entrepreneurs get together. I know there are companies out there where, you know, where they're all pulling in the same direction, where they're all leaning in the same direction. Mm -hmm. But circling back to exactly what you said, you know, for, for me, there's four clear things that I think we have to do as leaders if we're going to build and be intentional about this culture. The first one is they have to understand where we're going. And that's exactly what you just said. Where is it that we're going? The next one is they have to understand why their role matters mm -hmm. to reaching that objective and how they fit into that. And then the next one, once they understand where we're going, why their role matters, they need to know how they're going to actually measure their performance along the way. And then the final one, I, I believe, is just simply it's our responsibility as leaders to give them the tools that they will need to measure and monitor themselves along the way so that we're not having to constantly jump in and quote unquote micromanage. Yeah. A definition of leadership that I, I found and I, I modified it a little bit. It just speaks to that so clearly that leadership is the art of empowering a group of individuals to accomplish a shared goal, vision, whatever word, you know, but a shared objective. And it's that art of empowering, because if you don't empower them to do the work, you're always going to be pushing. Yeah, absolutely. I think often, though, we, we get in our own way, right? We mm -hmm. say we want to empower them, but then you know, we want to micromanage, we want to jump in and, yeah. and, you know, mess things up really. Yeah. We want to empower them to do it our way, as opposed to here's where we're going. If you've got a little zigzag path, then it's going to take you there. Do it. I'm here to support you what you need. I would do it that, that straight path, but you know, there may be, there may be something that you need on that path. Just being clear that this is where you're going and this is when you'll be there. Yeah. I think for, for me, you know, what you just said is absolutely true. It's the willingness to let them go down that zigzag path. It's the willingness to stand by and watch them fail, knowing that you could have prevented that failure. Now, you know, just one caveat here, you know, there's different types of failure, obviously, right, right. you know, we're not going to allow for catastrophic failure, but we are going to allow for those teachable moments, right? Mm -hmm. We are going to allow for the, the, you know, the metaphoric uh, tripping and falling down and bruising and scraping your knees because right. it's in those failures that they learn so much and that we learn so much as a team. Exactly. There's a, a t-shirt that I love to not hate, but 
to argue with because it says failure is not an option. Now, the reality of that particular T-shirt is it's all about sending rockets. You know, it's about the space space shuttle and, and things like that. And at that level, failure is not an option because people, you know, will get killed or, or whatever. But most of our decisions are not, we're not talking about those kinds of decisions. And I think, though, as leaders, oftentimes we take that approach. Failure is not an option, even if it only means you're going to be an hour delayed on finishing a task or something. It's like, no, you can't, you can't. And then how do, how do people learn and expand? Right. No, it's absolutely right. It's the, it's the, I've got four kids and it's the same way that every single one of them learned to walk. You know, they get up, they take a step, they fall, they get back up, they take maybe two steps, they fall. And if, if we didn't allow the kids to fall, you know, if we never allowed them to walk because we didn't want them to fall, they would never learn to walk. Right. And it's the same thing. It's the exact same thing in business. One analogy that I think is so great to kind of illustrate this, I've heard that Amazon kind of used the analogy of a one-way door versus a swinging door. And that when it's a one-way door, that means whatever decision you make, when you walk through that door, it's not reversible or it's extremely difficult to reverse. With those type of decisions and those types of failures, you do have to be very careful. You right. do have to have guidance. Mm -hmm. But if it's a swinging door, in other words, they step across that boundary, they mess something up, uh, it's a failure. If it's a swinging door, they can come back and fix it. You know, it's not a, it's not a catastrophic, it's not a fatal failure. So I use, I love to think of that analogy, one-way door versus a swinging door. That That's great. Because yeah, it gives you kind of a play, it, place to stand and to look at, okay, if we make this, if there's a, a mistake made, a failure with this decision, is it totally irreversible? There's no going back. And most of them are, no, we can go back and we can do it over again. And the more mistakes you make earlier on, the fewer you end up making in the long run. Absolutely. So here we are, we're leaders, we're leading the, the team, we're, we're empowering them, we're giving them the tools. And then you've got that employee that just challenges you. I, I really liked that, that, you know, talking about that employee that challenges your leadership can be the one that really expands your leadership capacity. So it sounds like there's a personal story, a little bit more personal story in that one. Yeah, absolutely. So I'll share the, the brief version of that story. And that's this. Um, so when Ugly Mug Marketing was in its early days, uh, our very first employee, uh, he ended up becoming a good friend of mine. And what I discovered after about six months into the role was that he was terrible at this job. The job that I had put him in, he was absolutely horrific at. But the problem was this, we didn't have other positions available. We were so small. We only had room for that one person and then another part-time person. And so I had to have a very difficult conversation. It took me about a year and a half, but I finally had to have this difficult conversation that was simply this, look, it's not going to work out. You know, and I learned so much through that because when that happened, he had just recently gotten married. His wife was expecting a newborn baby. And he I considered him a friend at that point. And I had to basically tell him, your job is over here because of the decision that I as a leader had made. In other words, I had placed him in a role that was not a good fit 
for what he did. And, and here's what's interesting about that. When we hear that, we think, okay, it's about the fit. It's about, it's, it's about me, Wayne, as the leader. But the way that manifests is this. Everything he attempted to do in his job, it was a challenge. Not for him. He would do the things, but he wouldn't do them well. Not because he didn't try, not because he didn't give a good effort, but simply because I put him in a position doing tasks, doing things that weren't a good fit for him. Uh, an example, a simple example of this would be, it was a very detail-oriented role, and he was not a detail-oriented person. So in that, trying to coach, trying to manage, trying to lead someone in that direction almost proves impossible, right? We're trying to get a square peg to fit in a round hole. It just doesn't work well. And so what I learned over time was this, that when we can learn to hold each other accountable, right, as a team, it no longer becomes a top-down thing. Now, if you've got one employee, that's a different dynamic. But now that there's, you know, there's 10 of us here in the office, or we've got one that works remotely up in North Carolina, but now that there's 10 of us here, I've worked really hard so that we have what I would call a self-accountable culture. In other words, we hold each other peer-to-peer accountable. It's not a top-down accountability. It's a peer-to-peer, across-the-board sense of accountability between us all. What do you see that that has created for your organization? Well, you remember the luncheon I mentioned earlier? It's created the polar opposite of that, right? It's not me having to wake up and be frustrated. It's not me having to constantly feel like I'm pushing, like you said earlier, pushing people in a direction. We know the direction. The direction is clear. Everyone knows their role in getting to that direction. Therefore, it makes it easy for us to say, hey, I noticed that you're not carrying your weight, or I noticed that you're not, you know, what you've committed to do this week is not going to bring you closer to where you need to be by the end of this quarter. And so it just creates a sense of, um, you know, it really creates a sense of team. Mm -hmm. So before, instead of just workers, in a building or in an office or part of a company, it creates a sense of team. And what I think the distinction is, is this, that the people that we have the most respect for, the people that we feel care about us the most are the ones who are willing to hold us accountable to our word. They're the ones who are willing to call us out when we're not living up to our potential. And I think for so many leaders, we get hung up in this mindset of, you know, I, I, I feel like I'm always having to call them out. I'm always having to push or prod and all these things. But, but I'm here to tell you when you're intentional about building the culture, when you're intentional about building a team that is self-accountable, all of that goes away. Mm-hmm. I so agree with you. I mean, that's part of the reason I'm doing these podcasts, because that's part of leadership reimagined, where everyone is leading. Yes. The CEO, the founder had a vision, has a vision. They're the holder of the vision. And when that vision gets shared, it grows and it expands. And there's more people to help be accountable to create it. And then when you're holding each other, you know, most of us have challenges holding ourselves accountable. We're really good at holding someone else accountable. And if we can do that with care, holding others accountable and allow others to hold us accountable, 
that's like what I like to say is that's where the magic starts to happen. Yeah, absolutely. The best analogy I, I love to use for this is, you know, you think about it, if you go hire a personal trainer, you're hiring someone to help you be in better physical shape. That person, you know, they have your best interest at heart, right? Which is to hit some physical goal. And here's the thing. We pay those people to torture us, right? <laughs> we pay those people to punish us. And a good personal trainer, they're going to make you do things you don't want to do. A good personal trainer is not going to allow you to do squats or to do burpees with the wrong format or the wrong style because you're going to hurt yourself. Right. They're going to come along beside you and say, you're doing it wrong. Let me show you the right way to do this. Not because I'm the boss, not because I'm the coach, but because I don't want you hurt. I want what's best for you. Right. And I love using that analogy because what it says is there's going to be some critique. There's going to be some challenging. There's going to be you having to do some difficult things, right? The burpees, the push-ups, the whatever they may be. Right. They may not be pleasant, but we're going somewhere together. Yep. That's so important. We're going somewhere together. Yeah. If you can believe it, our time's almost up. So Wayne, is there any last thing you would like to share? Sure. The, the last thing I'd like to say is this, that when we grow a business, when we grow an organization, a byproduct of that growth is going to be complexity, right? So as a business expands, as there's more and more people, more and more sales, whatever it may be, complexity is a byproduct of that. In mm -hmm. Out of complexity comes confusion. And so what once started as here's this clear vision, here's this clear mission on where we're heading, here's the North Star that we're aiming for. As we scale, as we grow, that growth creates that complexity and that complexity then creates confusion around where we're heading. So I think it's important as leaders that, that we give ourselves permission to remind ourselves that clarity matters a lot. Mm. And the B side to that is you have to often view your role as the chief reminding officer because a vision not repeated often is a vision that's forgotten. And we have to constantly remind of where we're going and why it matters. Because again, it's all about clarity. We have to have clarity. Yeah. Oh, that's, that is just the perfect place to end on. So thank you for this. Thank, this has been a great conversation, Wayne. Thank you so much. I've enjoyed our time together. Thanks for joining us this week on Leadership Reimagined. Now is the time to reimagine your leadership. Take a minute and go to reimagineyourleadership.com and I'll call you. We'll have powerful conversations. You'll take action. Yes, there are always actions to take. Your business will expand, and I guarantee you'll have fun at the same time. I know, shouldn't it be fun? If it's not fun, why are you doing it?